0: Good morning, welcome to Faith Christian Fellowship, this beautiful August morning. August is always different, we do a different kind of a series. We do a series that's very different this year. I'm gonna I I make a simple statement. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I hope you believe that too. I hope you're here and you believe that God has spoken through his word. I believe there are many people in our nation, many people in our city, many people in the room here today that believe that God has spoken to us in the Bible. But, 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 I, I sometimes wonder, you know, it's, it's a bestseller. everybody's got a Bible, different translations, but do we read it? <laughs> do, do, do we really, have we really studied it? Do we know what it says? And are we really seeking to, to do what it says and, and to follow what it, uh, the guidance that's there for us? It's, some, some people call it, it's the, it's the, it's the, the manual for the, that the Creator has given us. It's His manual for life. Uh, the prophet of old Hosea, I believe, said that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I think that could be true as we look at our world today. This, this August, I, 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 I want to do a series um, that's an overview of five books, five books in the Old Testament. I'm calling it Wise Answers to Life's Big Questions because I believe that the Bible has simple answers to the biggest questions on the human heart. And they're, they're tucked away in some books in the Old Testament that often we don't think about as answering basic questions that we have. The, the big question about romance, it, 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 I know love in this world. Will someone care for me unconditionally? Is there a book, is there wisdom from God there? I think there is. There's a book of Song of Solomons. Next week, Blake's going to talk about that. What's the purpose of life? What's it all about? Why am I here? In a couple weeks, Vic's going to talk about the book of Ecclesiastes, which seeks to answer the question. How can I be successful in life? I'm here. How can I prosper? How can I be successful? How can life go well with me? In a few weeks we'll talk about Proverbs, which talks about, about prosperity and, and, and success in life. How do we deal with the fact that life doesn't always work the way we want it to work, that there's pain and suffering in life? There's a book, book of Job. We're going to look at it. We're gonna, again, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just do a simple look at these books, a glimpse at these books to whet your appetite to the fact that God has spoken great answers for us in his word and i hope it'll it'll whet your appetite to go deeper as you were and, to, and and to go beyond just the four gospels beyond just, to look at that old testament there's great stuff from God there for us we heard in the in the text second timothy 3 as it was read that the sacred writings are able to make us wise unto salvation which is through jesus christ the bible does that let me start with a few quick insights about the about, as we approach the scripture uh, the Bible is not a book about you, but it is for you. It's a book about God. It's a book about God. The, the Bible is to be understood and approached as an unfolding story. It's not just little nuggets, it's not, not little tweets. <laughs> it's, it's an unfolding story. That's what, And many of us don't understand it because we ignore the first half of the story, the first, the Old Testament. The Bible is not given To hide the truth, but to reveal the truth to us. But We've got to study it. We've got to dig like gold, it says in the Proverbs. Here's one. The Bible is true even if no one on earth believed it. It's not true because we believe it. It's true because the living God has spoken to us about things we wouldn't know unless he spoke to us about them. And lastly, you, you cannot change the things that are in the Bible, but... The things in the Bible can change you. Now, five weeks, five books, how are we gonna do this? Each week we're we're gonna do an overview of the book uh, very briefly, just to give you some sense of what's in the book, and then we're gonna look at a passage in the book. And um, today we're gonna look at at Psalm three, Psalm three. So you can can turn there, or you can look at the overhead, Uh, we'll we'll in a second read that that portion of God's word, but each week we're gonna talk about some things in the book And then look at the passage. And today's passage is a simple passage, the third psalm. If you find that passage, let's stand and listen to to the reading of God's word. (laughs) ESV translation. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are shielded about me. My glory and the lifter of my head, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of, of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people, Selah. God's word. You may be seated. God bless His Word to us today. God wants us to, to, to have an honest, loving, personal relationship with Him. That's what God wants, an honest, loving, personal relationship with Him. Simply put, He wants us to know Him, know Him. The word know in the Bible deals with an intimate, personal relationship. And I believe the Psalms helps us do that. It, it gives us insight how to know God. What's it like to have a relationship with God? Well, just in terms of some of the, uh, the background to the book of Psalms, by the way, on the um, connections table, you can get a one-page review of, of some of these uh, things and a lot more things I'm, uh, of just the book of Psalms, a one-page, so that as you want to go deeper in your reading of, this, of the word, you have some, some direction. But the word psalm, I noticed this week that the word, word psalm Psalms comes from the Hebrew word that means to pluck. To pluck. Uh, uh, these are lyrical poems. They were originally composed to be accompanied by string instruments. David played a harp. As a guitarist, I like that. that the Psalms has to do with plucking because harps and guitars are fairly close, right? No, no book of scripture describes the idea of knowing God like the book of Psalms, though. It's Israel's songbook, it's a songbook. Now these songs teach us, songs teach. They teach us about him, and we also see in the songs the breadth and the depth of spiritual experiences of God's people as they interact with God. In fact, many have categorized the psalms according to various feelings and experiences, types, genres of songs. There are 150 psalms in all. Here's some some of the categories people have. There are psalms of praise. We see psalms of praise, the soul focusing just on who God is. We see psalms of thanksgiving, which focus the soul focusing on what God has done, the good things He's done. We see psalms of lamentation, the, the, the soul crying out in despair over some situation. Psalm three is a psalm is an individual lament, an individual lamentation. We see psalms of confession, like Psalm fifty-one, the soul crying out in repentance, Lord, help me, Lord, I I'm weak, I'm broken. We see psalms of crying for deliverance, <laughs> going to God, the God who cares, because we know that He cares. For the struggles we have, and He can deliver us out of our situations. We see wisdom psalms, the of reflecting on the circumstances of life and how life can go better. We see some of the songs are very long and they're very complex, like Psalm 119, got 176 verses. It's a long song, isn't it? It's a long song. So, some are very short, and pithy, like Psalm 117. It's just, it just simply says, uh, "Hallelujah." thank the Lord for his mercy, hallelujah. That's, about, that's pretty much what it says. Some are, but it wants you not to think, but to, to, to feel. So, some songs want you to think, some want you to feel. All the songs really want you to do both. They're individual songs, they're group songs, community songs they call them. Songs of, of pilgrimage, for the, as a people of God would, would move from one area to another. They're royal, patriotic songs about, about the kings. God's concerned about things like kings. Of course, messianic songs, songs that point clearly to the Messiah to come, Jesus Christ, to his first coming, to his second coming, to his church, to the message of salvation, the messianic songs, written over about 650, 700 years. They're compiled by Jewish people, God's chosen people over the period of time, from David to Christ. David wrote 73 of them. Now, there are 150 psalms. Now, if you're good at math, you know it's almost half, right? 73, 150. David wrote 73 psalms. 48 psalms are anonymous. We don't know who wrote them. Sons of Korah wrote about 11 or 12. There's a dispute there. Asaph wrote 12. Um, others writers of psalms were Solomon, Moses, and two brothers, Heman and Ethan. Var- various authors who God used to bring the truth, his truth, to us for all times. The structure of the psalms. Uh, Chuck has done a good job of, of, of graphing the structure of the psalms. Maybe you can see that uh, right there. But the, they're, they're, the, the psalms are divided into five sections. Many people don't know that. Five sections in the psalms, and each of the sections ends with a doxology of praise to God, OK? There's, there's a lot of discussion about what each of the sections is. It seems to be something about Israel's history, that the, that the, that the, uh, the post-exilic chroniclers who, put, who compiled the psalms they were thinking about the history of Israel. Again, it's, it, but, but, it, but again, it, 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 there's a flow to it, but it's a songbook. it's a hymn book. It, now, I know we, we use overheads so and we don't have our hymn book, but we, there are some in the back, I think, if you want to look at one. Hymn books are put together, and often there is some sort of a flow where so, songs are lumped together that are similar, right? And yet, you don't have to read it from front to back. That's the way the Psalms are. It's a hymn book. You find the one that meets your need and you, and, you, and you go into that one. So what are the key themes of the psalms? Just quickly, what are the key themes? There's, there's three of them, very simple themes. The theme that God is. God is. He's our creator. He existed from eternity and exists in, into eternity. He's, he's our creator. Second, that God, the God who is has personality. He has discernible attributes. He has character. Just as we created his image, we have character and personality. So does God. We can, we can, so we can relate to him as person to person. He is, he has personality, and thirdly, God has a plan. He has a plan for mankind. He has law, he has a will, he has a path, he has way, and he, commit, he, he communicates those in his word, and we need to find those. The word covenant, you heard that word, talks about the, is the plan that God has for his people, that we would be his people. So now, let's, look, let's begin to look at the Psalms. Uh, Psalm, before we look at Psalm 3, I want to look at the context of Psalm 3, which is Psalm 1 and 2. The, 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 the two Psalms that are sort of a doorway into the entire book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. <clears throat> In Psalm 1, we see the power of the written word to divide. The, if you have a Bible, just glance at it. The power of the written word to divide. It's the, 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 the godly man who, 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 who meditates on the word day, day and night, and he becomes fruitful. We see that some are blessed and righteous and others are wicked and heading for judgment and damnation. That, that psalm uh, uh, says that there's some who are going to perish. The, the, the word is, is what makes the difference. The word is what makes the difference. Where there's no word, there's no fruitfulness. That's Psalm 1, the power of the word of God to divide. The written word. And then Psalm 2, this royal psalm, is the power of the living word to divide. Watch this. The nations are rebellion against the Lord and against his anointed one in the first couple of verses. And the royal son is that one that John called the living word, the word who became flesh, who dwelt among us, who came to his own, but his own received him not. But to those who did receive him, he gave the power to become children of God, John chapter one. And, 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 and so in the language of Psalm two, sin is rebellion against the authority of God. It's treason against his throne. And there are those who, who, who reject the Son and commit that treason and they rebel and they hate the Son. And then there are those who receive the Son, who it says in, in the bottom of that psalm, they kiss the Son. They find refuge in the Son. So what do we have here in the first two psalms? You have the power of the written word that divides and the power of the living word who divides. That's where the psalms begin, with division. And then we get to Psalm three, which I'm not talk about today. Which is, begins? Okay, how does this apply into the world in which we live as God's people? That's, where, that's, where, that's how this is set up in, in the whole book of Psalms. The, the, the setup is that there's two kinds of people and there's two kinds of destinies. Now, psalm 3, it, again, we, we heard the reading of it, and I'm just going to give a, a one-word description of each of the four sections. The first word is fear. Fear, verses 1 and 2. D- David's the author of this psalm, you see that. Uh, and uh, he has some stress points in his life. <laughs> in fact, he says, many are my foes. Many arise against me. Many are saying for my soul there's no salvation. He has some major stress points in his life. He is singing the blues. This is an individual lament. It's a song, an individual song of David crying out to God about the situation. There has been a coup. He's the king and he's no longer, he's on the run. There's been a coup. David has been, he, he's been kicked out of Jerusalem, out of town. He's been chased he's been deposed from his position as ruler and leader of Israel. so <clears throat> he didn't have a job right now this job's been taken from him. he has this physical danger I mean it's a coup it's a political coup they're, they're chasing him they're out to get him and he knows it. there's a price on his head the, the palace has been taken over he has no no he has he's on the run many are my foes, many rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation. Often the psalmists talk like that. They, they talk about their enemies and, and their foes, and they say, Lord, get my enemies off my back. Theologians call it imprecatory psalms, as, as the psalms that they did ask God to, to render justice upon uh, evil. Psalm 137, Lord, uh, we're in, we're in Babylon. How can we sing your songs in a strange land? Lord, oh, do something against Babylon. That, that's that's the, the tone of the Psalms. You're allowed to say those kind of things to God. When you feel them, say them. God, allow, God can hear it. As followers of Christ, we, t- we need to resist the temptation to, to, to profile people in, in some kinds of ways. Um, G- Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. He, he, he assumes, though, that it's okay to name someone as an enemy, as a foe. You know, it's not, really not being honest to be kind of super spiritual and say, you know, I don't have any enemies. I just love everybody. Nonsense. Be honest. Be honest. God allows you to be honest. (laughs) Say, I am trying to love everybody. That's honest. I hope it's honest. Several weeks ago, we had the tragic shooting in, in, in Chattanooga. You, you, know, you know what happened. I don't need to go over the details of what happened there. And it, 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 it reminded us again of, the, of, of you know, as you heard about it, and you said, well, who could do that? And you, you had a sense it was probably the Islamic uh, t- terrorists, but you didn't want to go there, and then they went there, because that's what it was. And, and there's this whole issue that we have in our nation right now of, of be, trying to be cautious, but, 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 uh, but, but not wanting to, to, to profile people, because that's not good. But what what, what, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? God calls us to love our enemies, but we need to know that our enemy is an enemy, to love them as an enemy. It's a a, a strange place where we are. I think we need more clarity about the dangers that are around us. That's my personal opinion on that. I think our national leaders need to be clear. And I think those who are in the Muslim community who are not a danger to America, they need to be more clear about who they are so that we will know who, who who to who are the dangerous ones? I, I think there's there's a lot more clarity needed about who the foes are. We need to name enemies, and, and we're going to see in this psalm that, that, that David names his enemy. See, the problem is if we don't if we're not clear about who the enemies are, then everybody becomes an enemy. And that's what happens. That's why, that's what happens when we profile because we're not sure. But see, David names his foe. Look at, in in the psalms, in some of the psalms before the psalm, we saw it in this in this psalm. Uh, right before verse 1, there's, there's a sentence. It's called the superscript. It it's, 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 it's gives you the circumstance by which the psalm came, through which the psalm came. And this psalm, we have, this is the first of the psalms where we have a, the, the situation, the superscript, and it says, this is a psalm of David, he wrote it, when he fled from Absalom, his son. So we know exactly in the book of Samuel where this, this, this was written, what situation is there. He names his foe. His foe is Absalom, who's leading the opposition. And just think about it. Knowing that it is his son who's done this coup, I mean, I think that would truly add to the stress level for David, wouldn't it? Think of it. I mean, if you know anything about the Old Testament history, back in 2 Samuel, uh, David had his great fall, his adulterous relationship, and the consequences of that, and one of the consequences was there was gonna be pain in his household. And he experienced that pain, and part of that pain was his son Absalom. So in one sense, David could be experiencing a lot of guilt here. Think of it. Not just the stress of there being a coup, but a coup because in one sense, he was reaping what he had sowed back then. Oh, the, 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 the horrible feelings that he must have been going through. And when Absalom died, there's this picture of him on a horse in a battle and his long hair gets caught in a tree and he dies. In um, David's grief, 2 Chronicles 18, the king was deeply moved. He went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. As he went, he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. The deep grief of David over his son. Fears in life are real. Fear is to the soul what pain is to the body. And, and the way to gain a stronger faith is to have a bigger God. And David has a bigger God, so he's, he's able to go to God in this circumstance. He's, we need to see that God is almighty. He's the almighty one. By looking at scripture, looking at life, they match up. We need to see that to overcome our fears. The second word is, verse 3 and 4, is the word faith. The word faith. In, in the text you see the first word is but he, he talks about the foes and, and who, who, who are the skeptics who are saying there's no salvation from his God he says but you, he turns to God but you, the hinge word there he believes that he is still king rightfully and that he is under the, the protection of the king of kings Lord our God and so there's really in the next couple of verses there's, there's four things he talks about he says you're my shield, you're my glorious one you're the one who lifts my head, and you're, you're, you have a holy... Let's look at those four very quickly. One is, is this protection of the shield. It's a metaphor. The, other, the second one is, is this glorious one. This, 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 this is interesting. The word glorious means honor. And also the word glory in the Hebrew is the word heavy, which is interesting. Heavy. To be glorious is to be heavy, to have weight. And, and commentators think that what's going on here, he says, God, you're my, the glorious one. You're the God of glory is that when, when soldiers, when, when the armies would go out, um, they would go out light and they would come back in victory, they would gather the spoils of the enemy and they'd come back weighted down with spoils. Now so he's saying that I'm not, I don't, I'm not victorious, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm light, I don't have a lot, but you, Lord, are still the heavy one. You're still the victorious one. He's beginning to use a, a, a battle imagery here. You're the one who lifts up my head. You know, when you're downcast, as in Psalm 42, you need your head lifted up. It's a picture of, of the shame of defeat, of, of the humiliation, of the lack of confidence that, that he had. Um, so you're the one, who, Lord, who in the past you've lifted my head, and I need my head lifted right now. I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling it right now, but Lord, I know, I know you can come through for me. That's, that's the sense in which David is, is writing and speaking here. He says, you're the holy one, and you, you have a holy um, hill. He's talking about Zion. We see that in Psalm chapter 2, the holy hill of Zion. And Zion, at Mount Zion was the ark. The ark went before the armies. See, there, even in this verse, he's beginning to have some, some, some battle imagery. The, the Psalms give us pictures. <coughs> pictures all over the Psalms. God is mighty. He's all-knowing. There, there's a, God has what I call a macro-knowledge and a micro-knowledge. <laughs> a macro-knowledge and a micro-knowledge. God, God knows it all. The, the saints in the black church used to say in the old tradition that God sits high, but he looks low. That's our God. He sits high. He creates the heavens and the earth. He's lofty. He's large. He's big. He's mighty. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient, but he looks low. He hears the cries of a lowly. That's our God. He cares even for the sparrow. He knows the number of heads, hairs on your head, the scriptures tell us. That's our God. He's a macro God. He's a micro God. And the Psalms show us Psalms give us pictures of God, all kinds of of metaphors and word pictures. He's king, he's he's shepherd, he's he's a warrior bride, he's he's, he's like a nursing mother, he's a rock, he's a refuge, he's a strong tower, he's he's like a majestic eagle. When you go to Psalms, meditate on on what the implications of those pictures are. It'll help you to understand your relationship with God. The one image that I skipped over, I'm going to talk about a little little bit here, is, is this first one, that he's my shield. He's my shield. This is battle imagery again. It's a defensive part of the the warrior's equipment. The Roman soldiers in the New Testament would have these shields. You've seen pictures of the shield, probably. Ephesians 6, it says, In all those circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith. It's a defensive weapon against the attacks, the, the fiery darts that would be tossed from afar from the enemy. In Baltimore, which sadly, we've seen shields this year, haven't we, during the riots in April, as the police brought up their riot gear, and part of it was shields, it's kind of a dark picture there, but the shields, you can see the shields of the police. You know, and, uh, we heard just recently that there were, you know, there were 160 of the policemen that were injured. Uh, they needed more than just shields, apparently, they needed, but, and there's been a lot of discussion about uh, where they commanded to, to, uh, to stand down or not, but again, we need to pray for our city. But the shield uh, was there to uh, to protect against uh, that what, what is thrown that which is tossed uh, at them. Uh, David says, "God, you are a shield." The picture is God is his shield. The things that the things that come at him, God, God you, you're the one who protects me from those things. He's talking about protection. Some of you are fr- fans of Star Trek. I'm married to a Star Trek fan, and you know what? To you, shield means one thing. You know, now, I'm a fan of the, of the, the first Star Trek, the old one with with Spock and Kirk and. And Aurora, that 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 crew. Um, uh, the, if you've never seen Star Trek, there, there, there's this place called the bridge. I think there's a picture of it. Come eh, down here. The bridge, with it, which was command central, and when the when the enemy was attacking, uh, uh, Kirk, C- Captain Kirk, would would would, would, would say, say "Pock, what's going on here? Are we getting attacked?" He said, "Okay, raise the shields, raise the shields." And what were those shields? Those they were deflector shields. They deflected the attack. So that they would not harm, although they did shake a little bit, if you remember. Star Trek. But, but they were not destroyed because there was a protection around them. There was a shield of protection deflecting the direct hit of the enemy. Well, long before Kirk and Spock talked about a shield, King David talked about a shield. A shield that, wouldn't, that didn't render you having no hits, but that deflected the hits. And we have, that's what we have. That the hits, we, the hits that come at us, we, they can be deflected because the Lord, our God, can be our shield. The Psalms invite us to trust and have confidence in God who's our shield. We have a big God who cares for us. His eye is on this sparrow. Now, so David is on the run, and he, he's in the wilderness and in the caves of, of Judea, and he's being chased. And yet, look at verses 5 and 6. My word for this, these two verses is simply peace. Peace. Look look at what verse 5 says. I lay down and slept. I woke again. For the Lord sustained me. Those three verbs are mighty. (laughs) I, I lay down and slept and woke again. I mean, everything's against him. Many, thousands are against him. And yet, he can have peace. Sleep, a sign of contentment and peace. You need to picture David here being chased by Absalom and the armies of Absalom, it gets dark and he needs somewhere to sleep. He's sleepy, but he's anxious and he says, Lord, help me sleep and the Lord helps him sleep. Maybe for a while he had one eye open, but then he just fell asleep. The Lord sustained him and he woke up. This is called a morning psalm, by the way, many call this a morning psalm. Sleep, having peace. You know, uh, Monday, my wife had, uh, had what they call minor eye surgery. Um, and she's okay. As you can see, she's here. I think she can see me today. I don't know. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I was thinking about that phrase minor surgery. Isn't that an oxymoron? I mean, you know, you know su- surgery is always pretty serious, isn't it? But minor surgery. So, you know, it was interesting as we wor- woke up to that day and I went to the office. And uh, here, you, uh, first, you know, first, I thought it's a surgery. It's got to be in a hospital. No, no, let's go, go to over little green screen, little doctor's office with little rooms on the side where they do, do they, they just do, so, so eye surgery after eye surgery after eye I said, wow, technology. And, and so, you know, you, you, you see that you know, all these people in the waiting room, they're going, they're getting an eye surgery, and, and, and you say, wow, that's pretty cool. And then, and then they, give you, they, they gave her this piece of paper that said, uh, sign this just in the unlikely case of complication." and you say, like, wait a minute here, I thought this was minor eye surgery. And then you go in, and, and, and there's a little twinge of, of lack of peace, but then you go in and you survive. it. Uh, David's stress level, though, is off the charts. You've got to understand, he, he is really stressed here, naturally speaking, and yet he can fall asleep because he's taken it to the Lord and he's left it with the Lord. Here's a question. What keeps you up at night? What keeps you up at night Is it things at work? Is it things going on in the world you have no control over? Is it friends? Is it health concerns? Is it things at church? Is it your family? I have to confess on those. I I, I sleep pretty good, but on the rare times I can't sleep, it's either pizza or family. It's one of those two. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'll be honest with you. What keeps you up at night? And what do you do when you have those nights when you don't sleep well? There's a story about about a man named Jim Elliott. Back in the the mid-50s, he was the first husband of Elizabeth Elliott, who went to be the Lord very recently, a few months ago. Uh, Jim Elliott was one of the five missionaries who was martyred in Ecuador, the Aqua Indians, the cannibals. the night, you know, she wrote a book based, based on his diary, which, of course, she had. And, and the night before they went to, to begin their ministry, where they were, you know, beaten, speared by these, by these Indians, the night before, they, they gathered on the, on, the, on the coast and sang that song that we sang earlier, We Rest On Thee, Our Shield and Our Defender. And then they went to sleep. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. That's what they did. They were able to sleep and prepare for their next day which was sadly the last day. Of course, the story doesn't end right there. As you probably have heard, Um, Elizabeth and others went back to reach those, that same tribe of Indians and and brought the gospel to them. But it was a very very famous story back in in the mid 50s about brave missionaries and, and their trust in God despite the cost. The Psalms urge us to find rest, even when there's times of trouble, To find rest. We find that rest going to God. That's how we do it. You find that peace there. The last verses 7-8, the word is simply plea. There's a plea here. David now begins to plea. He, 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 he's talking about the situation. He's talking about God being certain things. He knows God is certain things. He's talking about the fact that he can, he's able to sleep. But now he's saying, Lord, I'm now, I want you to do something. He's plea, He begins to plea to God. Look at what he says. Arise, O Lord. Save me. Deliver me, O Lord. O God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the the wicked salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The word arise, <laughs> again, there's been a, there has been a coup. There's been an uprising, okay? The, the, the Absalom and his forces have, have risen up against David. It's a military phrase. And yet he says to God, you arise. In Psalm 68, arise. Oh, Lord, let your enemies be scattered. It's it's a military phrase against the coup. Lord, you you begin to do battle here, too, against. Again, the shield and all, that was a defensive posture. Lord, now take an aggressive, offensive posture. You, rise up and do something. Deliver or save, Same, same translation. That's his plea. That's his petition. He's requesting God, his cry for help. Reminds me of, of Jonah. Jonah in the, in the in the in the great fish, the heart of the great fish, where he came to the conclusion that salvation is of the Lord, and that he was spewed out on dry land. Salvation is of the Lord. He says, "Oh my God!" Interesting that in this psalm, it's interesting in the psalmist as you read the psalms to so look at, at whether it uses the word Lord or God, Yahweh or Elohim. It's it, it's quite interesting. And here he uses again, "Oh my God," when he talks about this deliverance, because back in verse two. The the, the skeptics were saying, there is no salvation in him, in God, for him in God. So so that was the phrase the skeptics used. Now, now the people of of Israel would use the word Lord or Yahweh, the the covenant name of God. So here he goes back to that word, reminding himself of the the accusation of the skeptics, that God, you're not able or you're not willing to save and deliver your people. That's the accusation, God. What are you going to do about it? Rise up, God. Do something. That's the tone. Which by which through which uh, David pleads here. Verse seven again, we see this this this, this battle imagery, this offensive, um, aggressive action that he that that we need, that needs to be be seen here. In verse eight, the salvation belongs to the Lord. The Old Testament depicts God as a victorious warrior who fights for His people, who fights on their behalf. Verse verse seven is quite interesting. It, 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 there's, a, there's a picture there that I don't want us to miss. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. That's quite a statement, a, a statement of faith by David. And it's also a reminder that God, that's who you are. You're the one who does that for your people. Well, what is a picture of? It's, again, it's, a, it's, a, it's a picture of battle. It's a warrior picture. Go back in history, back, uh, oh, a few years back, uh, before I was born, a guy named Joe Lewis. Anyone heard of Joe Lewis? He was a boxer. Anyone heard of Joe Lewis? A few of you have. <laughs> he reigned as the heavyweight champion of the world, the boxing world, from 1937 to 1949. And he had several very historic bouts. Very historic bouts. He, his, in his title battle against James Braddock, where he finally took the crown. Um, in, in the first round, he was actually knocked down. and He, he, was, he was startled, knocked down. He got up and, and then he began to, to really become very successful. And by the eighth round, he knocked Braddock out and became the heavyweight champion of the world. He's considered the first real folk hero of African-Americans in this nation. I didn't know that until studying this. The first real folk hero among African-Americans. When he would fight, the entire African-American community would pause, and they would, found, they would find someone who had this new invention called the radio. And they'd gather around radios to listen to the fight. Now, I, do, I did know about that, I've heard about that from, from the old folks. But they would huddle around and, and, and listen to the, to, to, to the announcer uh, describe the fight, and, it, and when Joe Louis won, there was great joy and great victory. Langston Hughes, the Harlem Renaissance poet says this, each time Joe Louis won a fight in those depression years, even before he became champion, Thousands of black Americans, black Americans on relief were poor, would would throng out into the streets all across the land to march and cheer and yell and cry because of Joe's one-man triumph. No one else in the United States had ever had such an effect on Negro emotions or on mine, he says. I marched and I cheered and I yelled and cried too. Langston Hughes, the poet. See, African Americans back then, they felt that Joe Lewis's victories were victory for the entire race. That was the feeling. He was representing the entire race in the ring. His victory was the victory for the entire community. And so yeah, when Joe Lewis won, they went crazy. The Psalms indicate for us that God would send a boxer, a warrior, a fighter who would go into the ring and fight against the enemies of man. And he came out victorious. <laughs> now the psalmist didn't know his name. <laughs> but I believe some folk didn't know his name. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God, the victorious warrior. Who stares at all the enemies of mankind? He said, Boom! Boom! That's Jesus. And you in your life, sometimes you might get knocked down. You're in Jesus, you're in Him. And A couple times he got knocked down, didn't he? But he never got knocked out. Never. One one Friday morning, they thought they, they knocked him out, didn't they? They smacked him. They called him names. They said, If you're God's son, do something. Call on your father to do something. He gave in. He died. And they thought he was knocked out, didn't they? But we know. Sunday morning, what happened? He rose. He rose again victorious. Victory over all the enemies of man. Victory over sin. Victory over death. Victory over the grave. Victory, Victory of all, all the stuff that we face in our life that we think we can't overcome. In him, you are victor. When you read the Psalms, you're not going to find the name Jesus. We we'll look for the victory of God. <laughs> look for God's victor. God, look for God's redeemer and how he acts on your behalf. He does things not just for himself, but for us, because we're in him and we're his people. So that Paul could say in, 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 in Paul, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, because that love of God is in Jesus Christ. And so we're safe in him. The Psalms give us pictures. Pictures that, that give us hope. Next time you see a, a boxer, think about Jesus. <laughs> think about not, not the, mental, the, the gentle, meek Jesus, but the Jesus who is strong enough to conquer everything that needs to be conquered in your life and in my life. That's who he is. And he did it on the cross. He did it for us, and we celebrate that every month, don't we? That Jesus Christ paid it all that we can go free, and we can have a relationship with the true and living God. So we celebrate that this this month, this day, as we do each month. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. This cup is a new covenant shed for the remission of sins. Drink it. In remembrance of me. Every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim my death till I come again. We ask officers to come forward as we as we continue.